0: I am your father. Join me and we can rule the galaxy. Don't make me
1: destroy you. Uh, you got a problem with your lightsaber? Mm, I'm not sure it was working a second ago. <laughs> Did you order it from some discount online toy seller?
0: What do you mean? I I got it from lasersword.de. Uh, Darth.
1: You should have shopped at Jet's Toy Hut. They have the best zero-movement packing and shipping online. Yes, yes. The Toy Hut staff are collectors themselves, so they know exactly what the customer expects.
0: Yes, I see. I still have my choking powers, you know.
1: They have seven sizes of custom Toy Hut boxes. They just never toss a lightsaber into any old shipping box. All orders are packed securely, using peanuts, bubble wrap, air pillows, or even packaging paper. You know what?
0: Forget what I said. You're not my son. Goodbye. Toyhut.com. All too easy. Good morning, Internet! I'm Torrin
2: Atkinson. What exactly is the deductible on massacre insurance, anyway? I'm Kevin Leeson. Cluster bombs, the gift that just keeps on giving. I'm Jordan Pratt.
3: The napalm diet, feel the fat burn away in seconds. I'm Joe Foljam, and this is.
1: Caustic Soda! It's the Caustic Soda Podcast! Yay!
4: it's
0: time to set the mics up it's time for tales of woe it's time to take the red pill on the caustic soda show it's time to do our research unless your name is joe it's time to load the wiki on the caustic soda show
1: To introduce our guest
0: star, that's what I'm here to do. So it makes me very hungry to introduce to you, Jordan Pratt! Yay!
3: But now let's get things started
0: Why don't you get things started? It's time to get things started On the informational, aberrational, strangulational, nauseational Strapped in for the plastic Soda Show Our special guest for this Vietnam episode is Jordan Pratt. Hello from... Horse Track Hooligans. Horse Track Hooligans! And we've heard Jordan on our POW episode. Spouting off. And our Desert War episode. Iraq War. And still you call me back. It's your shirts. They're so nice to look at. Vietnamese Viet means the people. And Nam means South. People South. Vietnam. Okay. South
3: people. But there's also North Vietnam. So there's North South people. And then there's a South Vietnam, which would be South-South
1: people. No wonder it's so confusing. Let's take a call. Well, there's no North <laughs> Vietnam and South Vietnam anymore. No. That no. stopped in about 1974. Oh, spoilers!
0: <laughs> and Viet Cong, it means Vietnamese communist. Okay, well, that
3: makes oh, sense, too.
1: where'd the G come
3: from? In the N, It Kong. came
1: from the
0: Vietnamese language. So do they call themselves Congianists? Yes, they do. (laughs) Those dirty (laughs) congies. Do you guys know why the North Vietnamese were called Charlie?
2: The NATO alphabet, Victor Charlie. Right. That's
1: right. For Viet Cong. VC.
2: Mr. Charlie. Victor Charlie.
1: Oh, and they they didn't want to give them the Victor because that sounded too much like victory. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, They're winning, guys. They're winning again. Yeah, talk about foreshadowing, huh?
0: So what was the Vietnam War?
1: Mm. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Actually, technically
1: it wasn't a war, right? It was a, a, it was a, a conflict. A, a conflict. Well, it depends
2: a, who you ask. A police
1: action or If whatever? you ask the
2: Americans, we were trying to stop communism. If you ask the Vietnamese, they're like, hey, we're trying to get everybody else out of our country. Right. Uh, the U.S.-backed
0: South Vietnam versus the communist North Vietnam. Is that yes. Yep. Set against the backdrop of the Cold War, the operation spanned international borders with Laos
2: and Cambodia heavily bombed. It's it's kind of a classic Cold War conflict because it's basically the communist blocs fighting the U.S., but they're getting other people to, to do their punching for them. So right. you're not punching Russia in the face, you're punching North <laughs> Vietnam in the face. Yeah.
3: Well, it's almost like two like big tough gang thugs are getting their underlings to fight. Getting their little brothers to fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you guys go fight. No, 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 hit them this way. Come on, here's yes.
1: a, No, no, <laughs> where one of the schoolyard bullies is actually hitting the little guy in the face and like staring at the other bully, going, "Oh yeah, this is you, Kapow! Yeah, yeah, you're gonna get it, Kapow!
3: Yeah, I'm gonna send over some of my little guys. <laughs>
1: yeah, you get the message. Are you getting this message,
3: Kapow? Right, I, I think we've says- uh, we figured out international relations and war now, and yeah, we should be geopolitical consultants.
0: We absolutely should. caustic soda starts World War Three. We're gonna fix this shit. Now, who won
2: this war slash conflict? I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say the communists. So the I North think it's one. the
3: theater going public,
1: actually. <laughs> We've
3: had a that lot of fine we films. Had, we have.
2: We did.
1: I'm going to go ahead and call this a Pyrrhic victory on the part of the communists. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why Pyrrhic? Uh, because they suffered a great deal because like three million of them died oh, in the yeah. defense
0: of the country. Yeah, about three million uh, Vietnamese soldiers and civilians, about 300,000 Cambodians, 100,000 Laotians, and 58,000
2: U.S. personnel. How many Cambodians? 300,000? Not bad for not being in the war. Yeah. Yeah. It just got decimated. How about the
1: Laotians,
2: man? Like, they weren't
1: pissing in anybody's teacup, yet, you know, 100,000 of them bit it, too. Shouldn't shouldn't have
2: been so close. Well, when you give the U.S. (laughs) the right of hot pursuit, you can come into our country only if you're actively chasing communists. They'll usually take that to mean, okay, so we can carpet bomb all available areas Uh with within range of our B-29s. Well, well I didn't our, mean that. Oh yes you did. Because here po- we are.
1: In our Pol Pot episode, we actually discussed the fact that one of the reasons Pol Pot was able to wrest power in Cambodia was due to the carpet bombing which kinda turned oh, the it totally destabilized the country. Well and turned the populace against the pro American government. Right? But they were trying to win the hearts and minds. <laughs> You could tell Both by all the, the cluster people. bombs. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, the cluster bomb uh, replaced all their hearts and minds with nothing.
3: <laughs> their hearts and minds were fine. It's just the burned flesh and yeah, destroyed skeletal yeah.
0: Their systems. limbs and fingers. They yeah. weren't
2: trying to win those.
0: And I guess we should mention that before this conflict, Vietnam had been previously occupied by the French and the Japanese. Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, it's it like gotten, a really bad game of musical chairs. They had a long history of colonial Yeah, if it wasn't overlords. the French,
2: was the Japanese. If it wasn't the Japanese, it was the French again. If it wasn't them, it was the British.
0: So they were were already well-versed in the uh, art of guerrilla warfare by the time the Americans came in. Right. The U.S. strategy was basically to wear them down. Attrition. Just keep bombing them until they couldn't replace their soldiers fast enough. That was the idea. Hmm. And the North Vietnamese government and Viet Cong viewed the conflict as a colonial war. They just wanted to keep foreign nations from taking over their country
1: again. That's kind
0: of a
2: recurring theme since yeah. then, too.
1: What an entirely unreasonable thing for an indigenous people to want. Yeah. These, what, they think they can rule themselves?
2: Don't so. they realize that we
0: have their best interests in mind?
1: They don't have any experience
0: ruling themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. They, where's the resume? They don't have... Uh, we don't think really, you're qualified. Yeah, to govern over your own country.
2: Sorry, they, they were about to have a countrywide election before the United States said, no, 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 then you'll just elect the communists. So what we're yeah. going to do instead is split the country up and then try and, you know, take out the commies by supporting the South, or as we like to call them, the shakies. The shakies? <laughs> no, it's just my word for it. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, should we talk about the Gulf of Tonkin incident that uh, started the whole American uh, involvement? Well, okay. I,
1: up to this point in time, they had like a bunch of advisors, and I'm air quoting this, yeah. advisors on the ground telling the uh, South Vietnamese how best to combat communism. Now, how much bullshit was that? I mean,
3: I know that it's bullshit. They called it advisors, and they even called them advisors when they ramped it up later, right? But, yeah. well, but back then at the early time, was it like... All these weapons we have just happen to have lying around, here's how you use them or was well, no, really, it was, really uh, like
2: advisors also come with armor personnel carriers, right. helicopters, communications, small arms. Well, they have to they're get training, to... but they're also equipping. Yeah. But yeah. they're not
1: actually fighting. I mean, they had to get to, to Vietnam somehow, so obviously they, you know, drove their APCs there yeah. and flew their short range helicopters yeah. there. I mean and then they just, you know. And they just left them, right? They yeah. just hand the keys over. Yeah,
2: the aircraft carrier is just the RV full of stuff. <laughs> they happen to leave it parked <laughs> and then unload it to set up their campsite. That's right. So the Gulf of
1: Tonkin incident was uh, in 1964, August the 2nd. There were uh, three NVA, North Vietnamese Army. Those P- are the commies. Those are the commies. The VC. They had uh, a couple of PT boats, which stands for something torpedo boat. Uh, yes, it does. Pink's. Pinko.
2: <laughs> Pingo torpedo <laughs> boat.
1: I'm going with it. They're these little tiny boats, like Boston whalers, that can fire torpedoes. They're hard to find, hard to see, hard to hit, hard to detect, but they can sink big ships. Okay, and they uh, they went after a couple of battleships uh, at the USS Maddox and their little uh, group of, uh, this, was group the, of ships. This, was this was off the Vietnamese the coast. This is in the Gulf. This is off the Vietnamese coast in the Gulf of Tonkin. Right, and then there was another incident reported on August the fourth. And then that was the, the, this persistent aggression mm-hmm. by the North Vietnamese is they drew up the Gulf of Tonkin resolution. Right. They brought it before Congress, and they started carpet bombing as a result of this incident.
2: And landing combat
1: troops. Now, the, the hiccup is the second incident never happened. It was just misreported? What did they say happened? There was a big storm, and they said, we're being, we're being fired upon. Torpedoes were in the water. Turns out it was just large hail. It's literally fish failed. in the water. They actually returned fire. They fired like something like 200 rounds at the the enemy.
2: So they had a mad minute.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they they called it in. They reported that they were under attack. And sort of the wheels started to go into motion. Right. It's like okay, let's drop this resolution. Let's get ready to carpet bomb. Let's do all this stuff. And then like 30 to 40 minutes later, the same commander who reported the incident right. reported back and said, Ah. It might not have happened. It might not have happened. We've Now we're investigating. We're not 100% sure that we were actually fired upon. And one of his quotes in the later investigation. Whose quote? He was the commander of the USS Maddox. Okay. He reported that freak weather effects, almost total darkness, an over-eager sonar man who was hearing his ship's own propeller beat caused a false report of a second attack. Oh, those over-eager sonar (laughs) men. That's Captain Herrick. So in very short order, there were doubts as to the veracity of this attack, even right. om- on the ship itself. Uh, Too I late.
0: Think, that paper's been signed. Yeah. I think yeah. The, the, by that it's point in time, filed,
1: the, wheels, the, the clerk th- has got up. Yeah. <laughs> it's 5.05. <5:05. laughs> yeah.
0: He's on the going way home.
2: It's this flex day, so it's a three-day weekend for him. We might as well just send the aircraft carriers out. The commander of the
1: Matic, Captain Herrick. So, changed his story slightly where he was like, Oh, I'm sure there was an incident, although we never saw any boats, and kind of vacillated a little bit. And so, or flying
0: fish with those little. Vietnamese cone hats right. on
1: them and they, were freaking, and they had knives they're freaking sharks with lasers on their like heads sharks with black
2: pajamas <laughs> yeah
1: so it's like but now all the stories started to conform right and a couple of days later until it was like everybody was sort of marching to the same drummer saying oh yeah there was something something happened and so we should carpet good enough right for yeah us. so
2: one incident maybe you can talk through it two incidents well these guys just want us to get it they're picking a fight lbj himself in
1: 1965 was quoted as having said for all i know our navy was shooting at whales out
2: there yeah for all so, he knows. He seems like the kind of guy who should know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seeing as how he signed the order to carpet bomb. That's a great endorsement of your own military. Yeah. so I'm not really sure what they're up to, but let's send a few thousand troops over.
3: We o- must go in and attack them because uh, maybe
1: something
4: happened.
2: Because yeah. everybody really, really wants to. No, and it, that's
1: <laughs> the funny part. It's like the best case scenario in this story is that potentially something happened, but there's no evidence to support that. But we kind of think it. So let's go ahead and do it. Let's sure. respond to the thing that could possibly have happened. They want something to cry about, we'll give them something to cry about. <laughs> now stop that crying. <laughs> Precisely. So that was the Gulf of Tonkin incident. That, that's what set the whole thing in motion. This war lasted 10 years? Yeah, well, 64 was the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Right. And the last soldier moving out was 73, I think. I think so. Yep.
2: I mean, uh, South Vietnamese uh, government collapsed in 75. Some people call that the end of the war. Because oh, okay. just because the Americans weren't there doesn't mean the war wasn't still happening. But for all intents and purposes, right. but we, was, we stopped making movies about Vietnam. In <laughs> yeah. 1975. The last yeah. soldier the, left the The MSC. mass
3: of white people were going in yeah, 73, exactly. so that's when the war ended, yeah, yeah. right?
2: This is when white people were not in peril anymore, so it's the end of the war.
3: We're, we're kidding, just in case anybody... Yeah, in case anyone not, takes that
1: seriously. Not. The Vietnam War might not have even happened if the U.S. hadn't jumped in.
2: I think it wouldn't have happened because, as I said, they were on the eve of elections, where everyone was going to find out what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and the United States said, "Well, no, we can't have this. We're kind of really into this domino theory thing, so we're going to tactically, it's not going to be good for you guys to be communists as well." Yeah, we're all, we're good. With too as
3: long as you choose the right kind yeah, of thing, exactly. when you're free.
2: Now we're not going to do
0: a long, boring, step-by-step, play-by-play description of the Vietnam War. Hey, Thank that's what you. I signed up yeah. for. <laughs> but we will talk about some of the more caustic elements uh well let's talk about the battle of Hue. Hue?
1: no Hue. <laughs> <laughs> this is a funny one ha ha ha
0: <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh
1: it's largely seen as one of the sort of the beginning of the end for the u.s the popularity of the war amongst okay. the u.s citizenry right this was in 1968 this was just after the Tet offensive this so it's where the North Vietnamese used this giant national holiday to actually launch an offensive because nobody thought... It, thought
0: they would be having a siesta or
1: whatever. Well, it, it basically, it's the, um, it's the North Vietnamese equivalent of, like,
2: invading somewhere on Christmas Day, right? Yeah. This is a country with 80% of them are Buddhists, so you're going to get more than 80% of the population partaking in this holiday. You're going to get a lot mm-hmm. of Christmas presents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those Buddhists love to party. They should
1: do Is they're that. all going to be Buddhist-overed? Uh, oh, I, made, I ate so many lotus petals. My I, robes are soaked with spilled tea. I so totally didn't kill anything today. <laughs>
2: I shaved my head like
1: crazy last night. <laughs> I got so enlightened, I'm so over. <laughs> Uh So, Hue uh, was actually a city that was near the border that got overrun by the North Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. So, they set up, like, fortifications and defenses, and, of course, the U.S. Marines weren't going to have any of this, so they, moved, they, they launched a counteroffensive. During the 28 days that the North Vietnamese uh, held Hue under their control, mm-hmm. the, an estimated death toll of 2,800 to 6,000 civilians and POWs that the North Vietnamese executed, tortured, executed, and even in some cases buried alive... Uh, in mass graves in and around the city. Oh. Any captured Americans were pretty much summarily executed. Okay, uh, They took uh, most of the city's government officials uh, from the South Vietnamese government and executed them. They took prominent citizens in the city, like anybody who was really wealthy, and took them away and they were never seen again. And, you know, uh, bought just stacks of bodies were found in these mass graves. So, the North Vietnamese are massacring the populace mm-hmm. uh, at a pretty good rate. 6,000 people in 28 days. It's like You know, uh, 200 people a day. That's pretty good for summary executions. And on the other side of the equation, the Americans are launching this counteroffensive and just bombarding the hell out of this town, right? In you know, only the Americans have that kind of ordinance kind of fashion. Right. Like uh, we all have seen Full Metal Jacket. I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners will have as well. Mm-hmm. That sequence near the end of the movie where they're in that town and it's just nothing but rubble and like, you know, solo walls
2: and like. It looks like a European city from World War II. Where yeah. They're finally marching into Germany.
1: Yeah. And all the walls are just pockmarked. Like basically it's the entire city has been reduced to a pile of rubble. That was the battle of way. Okay. I got a quote here from one of uh, um, the Marines. Did we have to destroy the town in order to save it? Because Hue was pretty much leveled when they finally drove yeah. the North Vietnamese army out of uh, out
2: of Hue. I think the answer is yes. If you're trying to retake a city, you're, you're at a disadvantage if you're trying to reclaim urban territory. You do have to destroy the city to take it back. There's just no other way to do it unless you want massive loss of life because what, what would you rather be? Hold up in a concrete house Mm -hmm. watching the street, or would you rather be marching down the street trying to take that house back? Right. Well,
1: I think one of the other things, too, is that the North Vietnamese were intent on holding Hue. Yeah. Like, if they had just, like, come in, shot a bunch of people, like, taken it and then retreated in the face of this, like, massive counterattack, Then the city might have been preserved, but the North Vietnamese were determined at one point, strategically, they're like, we want to hold the city.
2: It's sort of, uh, for the Americans fighting um, the North Vietnamese, this is the kind of combat they were used to in a jungle environment where the enemy would pop up and then disappear and Mm -hmm. melt away. Yeah. But it's pretty unusual for them to stand fast in a city and try and keep it while the Marines are slowly retaking territory and destroying you know, they were kind of out of their element, but the Marines had sort of been used to this kind of uh, fighting.
1: As this whole thing's going on, like a lot of the Vietnam War, it was being broadcast back in America. After 1968 is really when the support started to crumble and it really started to tip to the side of the anti-war activists. Right. And this is largely one of the tipping points, the battle away when people just saw this dead American bodies being hauled out of this destroyed city, mm-hmm. you know, house to house fighting, just like the dirtiest. Nastiest, yeah, just was. uh, And
3: then you try to explain to the American population why, but why are we doing these horrible things? Why are we sacrificing our lives? Well, see, dominoes and communism. Yeah. And if this happens, then it might spread. Might. My my brother is dying in a ditch in Vietnam
1: for a mite. No, no, no more war. Red menace and all the rest of that stuff. And uh, I mean, and then there's the whole like the city is destroyed. Like, how are we even helping the people who are there? Like, we're right. there to save them from communism by destroying their entire country. Yeah, another uh,
2: nail in the coffin of the hearts and minds theory.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, civilians and POWs aside, the
0: North Vietnamese forces lost an estimated 2,400 to 8,000, while Allied forces uh,
1: 668 dead and 3,700 wounded. So, yeah, So Just to I, give you the figures. It was pretty bloody. And in fact, the, the really interesting part of the story, actually, is that the Viet Cong themselves started to admit that a lot of things they did in, at the Battle of Hue was actually misguided. Trong Nu Tang was the Viet Cong justice minister appointed soon after the Hue battle, and he said that the massacre of the, uh, the civilians and the POWs during the course of that battle left us in a special need to address fears amongst the southern people that a revolutionary victory would bring with it a bloodbath or reign of terror because they went in and took all the local government and and summarily executed yeah. them and so then they realized uh oh hold on a second we're risking whatever support we have amongst the south vietnamese mm-hmm. peasantry now we've created a question mark what are we going to do when we if we actually take over right. south vietnam start- are we being too evil yeah they forgot about hearts and minds Discipline in Hue was seriously inadequate and fanatic young soldiers indiscriminately shot people. So Mm. he actually, you know, came out publicly admitted to the massacres that happened in the early couple of days of the uh, of the
2: attack. And a lot of uh, southern Viet Cong soldiers already felt betrayed after Tet because they were kind of thrown into the meat grinder with a lot of the uh, northern Viet Minh veterans kind of leading attacks. So there was kind of a contempt for Southerners because they all sort uh, of—the North thought the South Vietnamese were basically collaborators. So even if you had a unit of loyal Southern Viet Cong soldiers, you still tended to throw them in first because you figured, I I can't really trust these guys anyway, so I'm going to throw them into the American machine guns first, and I'm going to lead them, but I'm not actually going to be in— Arm's way
1: this is like that part of the sopranos where they're unsure if the guy's a rat or not so they give him the gun and tell him he's got to kill yeah exactly and and
2: the justification is well you know this is this is your half of the country you should be doing the bulk of the fighting here
1: (laughs) right right that's interesting. Well, it
2: just means that both sides were manipulating to
1: achieve their ends. So this really is the two, even even on like a micro level, there's two bullies on one side of like the small guy in the yeah. middle kind of getting oh, yeah. squeezed Absolutely. out. It's like one guy punches him in the face, give me your lunch money. And then he goes back to his quote unquote buddy and he's like, he took my lunch money. He's like, well, go back and get it.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go back get and some get, your get your lunch together. money from that
1: guy who just beat you up.
2: And if you don't get your lunch money back and give it to me, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. <laughs> Hey, what? Coming up from Caustic
3: Soda Cinema, personal recreations of the (laughs) Vietnam War, as told by
1: bullies and their punks. That's right. Playground follies. This week, Vietnam. It might also be a little bit of insight into our own childhoods. (laughs) I never had any lunch money. Ha ha, (laughs) jokes on you, bully. (laughs) You punched me in the face for nothing.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
0: and then they kept laughing. I'd like to talk about Operation Rolling Thunder briefly. That's a cool
1: name. It could be, that sounds like an album title. Operation Rolling Thunder? Yeah. That sounds sounds like like it's going to do everybody
3: some good. Rolling oh. Thunder was actually uh, taken as a name by a game company for the release system for their collectible card game, when they released it as small monthly releases instead of uh, oh, big, huge, expensive oh. releases. Right. Yeah, small, small clusters, if you will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Legend of the Five Rings, the Doomtown card game, they both
1: did Rolling Thunder. I like taking your uh, marketing campaigns from, uh, <laughs> from battle Tragedy horrible in, yeah. in yeah. Southeastern Asia. So this is from 1965
0: through 1968. I'm going to give you some figures here. That should be renamed Slow Rolling Thunder. Slow Rolling Thunder. (laughs) 643,000 tons of bombs were dropped. However, nearly 900 U.S. aircraft were lost. It was estimated that the damage done to North Vietnam by the bombing raids was 300 million. The cost to the U.S. of these raids
1: was an estimated
0: 900 million. That's a terrible opening weekend.
1: Yeah yeah, that's a that's a bad business model in the uh, business world. Spend 900 million to reap 300 million in benefit. A ton of bombs were dropped for every minute Nixon
0: was in office. There's a legacy for you. Wow. <laughs> By the time the last American combat troops left Vietnam in 1973, the. US military had dropped some 4.6 million tons of bombs on Vietnam. But didn't we just say that like
3: about four million Vietnamese died? No, $3 million. So it costs more than one ton of bombs per kill.
2: They're not very accurate bombs. Uh-huh. Right.
3: Yeah. But like a ton of bombs per kill. It takes a lot less than 2,000 pounds of
0: TNT to kill me. And they dropped more tonnage of bombs on South Vietnam than North Vietnam.
1: Yeah, well, because that's where the Viet Cong were hiding. It was defense. In the Arbonic. populace. Yeah. Yeah. So you have yeah. to
2: bomb the populace. Yeah. yeah that's, uh... Does it say there what the objective was? explodey
3: profit <laughs> no, it for the bomb making companies it was, yeah. wasn't it it
1: was it their supply Jordan. lines parts and, and, and mines. Mines. destroy their
2: crops and make sure the rural population gets moved to the urban centers where they're easier to keep an eye on and control lbj again
1: he was really reticent to bomb certain parts of the country like he didn't want to bomb uh hanoi itself And he didn't want to bomb too close to the Chinese border Right. he's afraid of accidentally bombing Chinese Mm -hmm. and getting them to come into the conflict. And then you Mm -hmm. end up in World War III. Yeah. Uh, I think Rolling Thunder just ended up bombing the same places over and over and over again. So unless you're an incredibly stupid peasant... It would be hard to justify getting bombed out and then going back to the place that you just got bombed out in order to get bombed <laughs> out, out again. Lightning strikes well, twice in the plus, same place, The Kevin. only
2: reason those peasants are there are to raise food crops, which are decimated by Agent Orange, Napalm, yeah, right. yeah. Cluster Bombs. Why would you go back? You'd just go to Saigon like everybody else and just wait for the end. So let's talk about Cluster Bombs. Typical one was the BLU-3 Pineapple, which
0: had two— Ooh, mo- sounds two- tasty. Yeah. Well, let show a little picture of, of the bomb so you can see why it's called a pineapple. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. it,
1: very cuddly. It looks, we'll post a picture of this on causticsodapodcast.com. That had 200 steel pellets. There are other bombs there. that used fiberglass pellets, mm.
0: 180,000 fiberglass pellets, which they use because it doesn't show up on x-rays. Very hard nice. to find and remove. Oh, that's, that's, how,
1: how thoughtful.
2: But why would you want to make it impossible for, for, I mean, they're already wounded and it's already taking six people to take care of one wounded person, yeah. right? which is a real stat. Why would you make it difficult to pull splinters out of? That's what I don't understand. Yeah, Why
3: turn it into save the guy? Oh, we'll never find it. Fuck him. And leave him behind. Right? Like you stop, uh, yeah, it yeah, stops being exactly, a wounding yeah. weapon. You just go, no, this is that new fiberglass stuff.
2: Yeah. He's dead. Yeah. Bam. You're and full then, of pink insulation. We're out. There's the Daisy Cutter which is a 15... Probably not as pretty as it sounds. <laughs> it was originally created so that you can instantly create a landing zone in a jungle. It yeah. has this big rod on the front that hits first and detonates the bomb above ground so it doesn't make a crater. Exactly. Because they're relying on helicopters. So yeah. they drop these daisy cutters in to clear an LZ and then the helicopters get to come in and land.
1: Oh, So okay. it's a good
2: bomb, guys. Yeah, <laughs> wait. <laughs> so that's not right. Yeah, until they started just dropping them on villages and stuff like that. Well, yeah, they have a huge like that. Um, percussion wave. So it, it's a pretty devastating bomb. Yeah. They actually just recently used them in Afghanistan to to uh, as bunker busters.
0: Then of course you have napalm, which is a gelling agent generally mixed with petroleum or a similar fuel for use in an incendiary device. Napalm is a portmanteau of the names of two of the constituents of the gel: napthenic acid and palmitic acid.
2: If you basically take uh, gasoline and mix it with hand soap, which is what some of the earlier manifestations of oh, this yeah. were, yeah, mm-hmm. you just want it to stick and burn, and this is how they uh, flushed out a lot of Japanese positions in World War II. And Japanese uh, soldiers were notorious for never surrendering, Right. If they saw a flamethrower using napalm, they yeah. would surrender en masse because nobody wants to burn to death. But taking a bullet, is easier to psychologically process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah, same yeah. thing happened in Vietnam. They did get a lot of um, enemies surrendering because they would see people running in flames and go, yeah. yeah, I don't want to, that's not me. Yeah, it <laughs> causes
0: severe burns, asphyxiation,
2: as it rapidly deoxygenates the available air and generates large
0: amounts of carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide. Mm. Mm. can create an atmosphere of greater than 20% carbon monoxide and firestorms with self-perpetuating windstorms up to 70 miles per hour.
2: And an inter- another interesting little fact, by the time the Vietnam War rolled around, they had tweaked the formula so it was impossible to scrape off of burning skin. Exactly. Because that was one of the drawbacks to the earlier. You could actually wipe it off, right but this stuff burnt, you know, would actually yeah. bond to you because it had latex mm-hmm. in it. And, Sticky. Yeah, and Science! <laughs> yeah.
0: Napalm is effective against dug-in enemy personnel. The burning incendiary composition flows into foxholes, trenches and bunkers, and drainage and irrigation ditches and other improvised troop shelters. Even people in undamaged shelters can be killed by hyperthermia slash heat stroke, radiant heat, dehydration, suffocation, smoke exposure, and carbon monoxide poisoning.
2: So if you're looking at it tactically,
1: it's no wonder they used it so much. Yeah. It's basically a catch-all Well, weapon. now, hold on a second, because I seem to remember a little thing called the Geneva Convention. I seem to remember something about not burning people alive. It's more of a Geneva suggestion.
2: Yeah. <laughs> They're just guidelines. Oh, re- What's well, not classified as a chemical weapon? That's that's your out.
1: Oh. <laughs> I mean, okay. that, that is literally,
2: you're out. So we're, we're taking a compound that's
1: made up entirely of chemicals. Mm-hmm. So is gunpowder. We are using it as a weapon. Yeah, but you don't get killed by the gunpowder. You get killed <laughs> by the bullet.
2: Projectile, yeah. <laughs> All right. If t- they described it as we're outlawing non-projectile weapons, then yeah, napalm definitely would have been out. How does it not get defined as a chemical
1: weapon? It's made entirely of chemicals and it is a weapon.
2: Well, you have people in the military attending the G- these Geneva <laughs> conferences that are making sure that stuff like this slips through. Right. Hey, Hey dude, we just use it to start our barbecues. Well, if you're sitting it's- in front of a panel of non-experts. Okay. And you say, "Well, we we use napalm, but what we use it for is defoliation." Right. It, when it's not practically use a chemical agent such as during the rainy season. And I'm, oh, okay. Hey, didn't you used to bur- use it to burn out Japanese personnel in the islands? Yeah, wasn't that barbaric? Anyway, we're just burning forests down. <laughs> right. okay, so it's I've a got- good
1: recreation. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, I was kind of there for a second. I sort of switched. I flipped the switch right there.
3: Yeah. Uh, so I've got some information on the legality. International law does not prohibit the use of napalm or other incendiaries against military targets, but use against civilian populations was banned by the United Nations Convention on Certain Conventional Weapons in 1980. Oh, that was oh. years oh. later. So okay. many years later, yeah.
0: Yeah, we talked about Agent Orange on our poison episode, and I think possibly in our deformity episode. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, because yeah. of the lasting effects of the dioxin, which is the main constituent of Agent Orange. But we'll just mention here that between 1962 and 1971, Operation Ranch Hand sprayed about 19 million gallons of herbicide. I love how none of the operations ever
2: sound terrible. Operation Kill Gook. <laughs> yeah. Operation yeah. Birthday Party. <laughs> Is it going to be a birthday party? No, not at all. Uh,
0: Birth
1: defect party.
0: (laughs) The spray fell mostly on the forest of South Vietnam, but some was used in Laos and some killed crops to deprive Viet Cong and North Vietnamese troops of food. The military purpose for using herbicides on non crop land was to remove the vegetation cover used by Viet Cong and North Vietnamese forces for concealment.
2: Yep. Mm -hmm. So 20% of the land area of Vietnam was sprayed at least four times by this stuff. Dioxin levels in yeah. some areas of Vietnam are like 365 times the, uh, not fatal dose, but the not recommended. recommended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The safe dose. Yeah, yeah, the stay away right now dose. The air
0: crews charged with spraying the defoliant used a sardonic motto. Who knows what that is? I've never heard this. Uh, no? Only you can prevent forests. Oh, <laughs> I uh, know that. Come
1: on. You can always count That's on, clever. On, I like that. on the military for somewhat distasteful, mo- yeah. like dark humor. Uh, but it's yeah. usually not very good.
3: That
0: one's
2: actually pretty That's good. Pretty yeah. Only yeah. You Can
0: Prevent us is pretty clever.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Jordan, you want to tell us about
0: fragging?
2: Fragging was, uh, it's not a new thing, but it got its own slang word in Vietnam. It's basically killing your superior officer or members of your own squad if they wanted you to go in and do your job. Or oh, danger, okay.
1: Dangerous missions or whatever. Yeah. If Hollywood has taught me anything. Yes. Is that fragging? Everyone take
2: a drink. In Vietnam, it's not just dangerous missions, though. It's patrols, doing any kind of work at all that you deem, like, especially because fragging became more popular, quote-unquote, when the war was winding down. So you had a lot of people in country who had seen a little bit of combat, and they're like, this war is going to be over in eight months, and I am not going to go on some long-range reconnaissance patrol and get my butt shot off because some guy wants to earn another star for his career. If Hollywood has taught
1: me anything, it is that fragging has happened at least once in every unit in Vietnam. Oh, okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. that's certainly the perception. Kind of like every soldier that came back from Vietnam got spit on at the airport. It's well, just
0: one of those... Uh, what is fragging, and why is it
2: called fragging? It's basically you kill your superior officer or members of your own squad if they want to be gung-ho and do their job. And okay. one of the most more popular untraceable ways to do it is to toss a fragmentation grenade into their tent or shelter or dugout. Because it doesn't leave any evidence, even though there was a trial where uh, a U.S. private was convicted of fragging. And they claimed that they could reconstruct a pin found in his possession to the grenade that was thrown, which was a load of BS. And okay. the charges hmm. were eventually dismissed. Right. It actually was pretty rare. But when people start learning about this, it becomes one of the defining features of that war. Right. Sure. It did that, not happen that often. That your own men are actually actively turning against their, their command yeah. structure. Right? That's yeah. mutiny. You can get jail time for that. Huh even though in every armed conflict men have always killed their superior officers and with good cause oh yeah i think it should have been done more often maybe in world war one on both sides i think everyone should have just been shooting the officers yeah Mm -hmm. mustard gas everybody up out of the trench run towards that machine gun yeah how many machine guns do we have well it doesn't matter (laughs) well
3: we can't run with them (laughs) (laughs) we have to get there we have to
2: leave them here that's not sporting
1: also uh blow the horn so they know we're coming get the band out there first so, on the morning of March 16th, 1968, mm-hmm. soldiers of Charlie Company, a unit of the American Division's 11th Infantry Brigade, mm-hmm. arrived in My Lai in the northern part of South Vietnam. They were on a search and destroy mission. What were they searching for and destroying? The enemy. Okay. Yeah, turns out it was everybody. Isn't 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 everyone on a search and destroy mission? Then I think search and destroy was like actually an operational title that they gave to certain kinds of missions. Okay, which was we think that there are North Vietnamese army members or Viet Cong that are kind of intermixed with okay. the population. Go find these them. like little hamlets and villages. So turn over every, like, you know, bamboo mat and right. uh, and look for little hidey holes and find guns and do what you will with the local population. So... What do you mean, do what you will? Well, in my lie, what they chose to do was walk into a hamlet that had about 700 inhabitants. Okay. Uh, and proceed to kill as many as 504 of them over the next three hours. Why? That never really becomes clear. I think they okay. just kind of got caught up in the, uh, in the pageantry of, uh, of homicide. Okay, Maybe this they... is
2: not in any way an attempt to justify what happened there. But, but they keep in mind the, the mindset of the soldiers that went in there, they had been booby-trapped and shot at right. and sniped and harassed and maimed and wounded. And it's, their commanders told them that tactical support was coming from this My Lai area. Mm. So that's where the Viet Cong were holed up. They said, these hamlets... We need to go in there and pacify them so that they're no longer supporting the Viet Cong. So they gave What them their commanders a, on the ground heard was kill everything with legs. And that's basically what right. ended up happening.
1: Of the 504 approximate victims, uh, 50 of them were aged three or younger. So Ooh. obvious North Vietnamese soldiers. Yes. Those 53-year-olds yes. who were plotting the demise. They had a look in their eye. Of South Vietnam. Sixty-nine of them were between the age of four and seven.
4: Well, you're know, uh, well, to carry
1: it, a hand grenade, and in a group, you know, sixty-nine of them, I
3: would have a hard time fighting sixty-nine seven-year-olds.
2: Seven-year-olds, yeah, I think
1: they could actually be a collective threat.
2: I well, get it. And, and kids tend to run when they're scared. And I think the quote we have on screen is, "Who is my enemy? Anybody that was running from us, hiding from us, or appeared to be the enemy." That last <laughs> part seems a little vague.
1: Right. Yeah, they, uh, and twenty-seven of the victims were uh, seventy and older between 70 yeah. and late Those 80s. are the craftiest ones of That's all, right. though. Yeah, because they have a whole world of experience yes. to build upon to be super crafty. And uh, absolutely no weapons were found in my oh. line. Uh, so, yeah, an entire village full of unarmed civilians. Uh, and they the uh, women were raped. A karate chop is a weapon. Many, so, many of the women were raped.
3: So what you're saying is the Americans thought they were going into a place where there's a bunch of weapons, yeah. and then they went in and fucked it all up, yeah. and then they looked for these weapons, and they didn't find any. But
1: they may have Isn't learned that a kind lesson. Of what,
2: did did <laughs> they learn a lesson? I think they learned a lesson. They, they oh, wait, never no, do that they didn't, again. Yeah. Guys, we can't uh, be doing this stuff again.
1: I like how you go in to find uh, North Vietnamese sympathizers, and you start raping all the women. That, because yeah. raping, does that fall into the pacification? Uh, hearts
2: and minds? I yeah. think not. Yeah. <laughs> Another nail yeah. in the hearts oh, and minds coffin. they were
1: employing hearts, minds, and vaginas. Yep. Hearts uh, and minds and yep. vaginas.
2: Mm-hmm. Hearts, minds, and coercion. Uh,
1: many of the civilians were stabbed and clubbed to death. You know, to get up close and personal. Well, bullets cost money. Several of the victims were mutilated with the signature C company carved into their chests.
0: Okay, so it sounds to me at this point that this Charlie company were a bunch of evil assholes
2: yes
1: Mm -hmm. well or there were probably what probably is more accurate to say there were a handful of evil assholes okay 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 who started doing evil asshole things and then mob mentality kicked in and uh there were a bunch of dudes who followed suit because i got a quote from uh one of the soldiers of C company okay i cut their throats i cut off their hands i cut out their tongues and i scalped them i did it a lot of people were doing it and i followed i lost all sense of direction so would that guy necessarily have done all these things if somebody else hadn't done it first maybe maybe not or maybe he was the first guy that everybody else followed and he was you know retconning it so he doesn't seem nearly so culpable
0: either way totally evil yes
1: totally evil uh, only one American was injured in the course of the uh, massacre. Oh, that was, my that was when he shot oh, his own foot. Yeah, he was clearing his gun because it jammed while he was shooting people.
2: Classic M sixteen.
1: Uh, oh no, it was his handgun. It was his oh, okay. uh, Colt classic nineteen eleven. Uh, he was clearing his uh, his pistol and shot himself in the foot.
2: Who hasn't shot themselves in the foot? There's actually
1: there are photographs of, a of soldiers actually uh, carrying him off the field of battle. Okay, with uh, his foot lifted up off the ground and him grimaced in pain because uh, he shot himself in the foot.
2: We should mention that there were American personnel that were putting themselves in harm's way to save civilians. Well, yes, and it, they were almost court-martialed for their actions.
1: There, there's a soldier named Robert Maples who uh, was ordered to shoot a bunch of people that had been laid down in a ditch. Uh, his own commanding officer pulled out his pistol and trained it on him and told him that if he didn't shoot them, that he would shoot Robert Maples himself. He still refused, and then another soldier came in and killed the people in the ditch. Okay, so not as evil. The least evil of the bunch was actually not a member of C Company. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was a... Well, was disqualified uh, then. He was a helicopter pilot named Hugh Thompson who was flying overhead and saw what was happening on the ground and landed his helicopter and ordered a bunch of women and children to climb inside right. so that he could fly them to safety. Uh, and then he saw another group being uh, uh, herded into a, a remote area that he thought they were all about to be massacred. So he flew his helicopter over there and put it between him between the the women and children and the soldiers and ordered his door gunners to open fire on the Americans if they were to oh, approach any closer okay. and loaded them up and flew them to, re- to safety. So you know, there were sounds a like there of, are some non
2: evil dudes. in he, there. He, uh, Yeah, he could have been executed for that. So I mean, it wasn't. Right. He didn't just take that on lightly. He, no. There was real things at stake there.
1: And there was a, a, a gentleman named Ron Reidenauer who uh, wrote letters to thirty congressional and military officials a year later, detailing the events at My Lai, which opened up an investigation because nothing had been done about this massacre up till that point in time. And he decided that he needed to
2: shine a light on it. Right. You mean there was a cover up? Shocking. Hmm.
1: Yeah, the 11th Brigade claimed to have killed 128 Viet Cong during the operation. Uh, when Hugh Thompson uh, claimed that civilians had been murdered in the attack, Charlie Company's commanding officer, Ernest Medina, was asked how many civilians had been killed. Even though he had personally seen at least 100 bodies, he wrote in his report that 20 between 20 and 28 civilians were accidentally killed by gunship and artillery fire. Hmm. So there's, as opposed to the 504 dead bodies that were left in their wake,
2: right. that were stabbed, clubbed, raped, and uh, shot by small arms fire. So I think it's fair to say the last of any American support for the Vietnam War may have evaporated somewhere around that right. time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, as soon as the stuff about my life started to kind yeah. of uh, rear its ugly head...
2: Your anti-war demonstrations ended up a couple hundred people to thousands of people attending. Uh,
1: The Army investigators concluded that 33 of the 105 members of Charlie Company participated in the massacre and that 28 officers helped cover it up. Charges were brought against 13 of those 33. And in the end, only one, Lieutenant William Cayley, was convicted. Cayley was charged with murdering 104 villagers himself. And he was sentenced to life in prison. What do you say military prison. Military prison Makes in sense. 1972. And after being issued a dishonorable discharge, he was released in 1974. What? Two years later. Interestingly enough, he went on to a career in uh, insurance.
3: Because you, you know, really never
2: know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's that's you don't know if anybody's going to come into your
3: village and start massacring you. Trust me. Insurance. That's a nice village you got here. It'd be a shame if
1: something happened. <laughs> Wait, this is extortion. No, it's might, insurance. You might, to, uh, you might want to get some of the extra, you know, massacre insurance.
2: Yeah, these thatch-ups, they go up. <laughs> no problem. Tinder dry. Was he a successful, did you say, insurance salesman? <laughs> so at least
3: 30 years later, Thompson and two others were awarded the Soldier's Medal, which is the, uh, the United States Army's highest award for bravery, not involving direct contact with the enemy.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So it took a while, but they finally went, oh, yeah, that was the right guy. And He's the good man. to
2: be accurate, there was no direct contact with the enemy, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. I want to talk about tunnel rats. Yay, tunnel rats. This is
0: one of the most interesting things that I found about the war. It is crazy. I want to do a whole episode on subterranean warfare. As a result okay. of your research? As a result of my research. Wow. So, okay.
1: Research-inspired yeah. topic. I'll, I'll start in this. Poland.
0: So the Viet Cong dug an elaborate system of tunnels near Saigon over the course of 20 years, stretching more than 120 miles long and 30 feet deep. Okay. They were used to avoid aerial attacks, house troops, transport supplies and communications. They housed entire villages rumored to be able to hold 5000 men. Hmm. The Viet Cong spent months living in spaces 3 to 6 feet high and 4 feet wide. Okay. Dangers included flooding, poor ventilation. A captured report suggested that at any given time, half of a Viet Cong unit had malaria and that 100% had intestinal parasites of significance.
2: <laughs> Keep in mind that every insect in Vietnam is pretty much poisonous, too. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Especially the worms.
2: And they like dark spots.
0: Uh, the tunnels were infested with ants, poisonous centipedes, scorpions, spiders, snakes, and vermin. Yeah, because they like little holes in the ground, too. And they see <laughs> they this giant hole through. that some yep. human dog, and they went... Free lunch, free hole. They were dug into hard clay, which had largely protected them from American bombing. Oh, convenient. Whereas standard U.S. Army practice was to seal, blow up, or otherwise attempt to render tunnel systems unusable with smoke, tear gas, and explosives, the Australians spent days laboriously searching and mapping the complexes they found using military engineers. Okay. The Australian commander referred to his men as tunnel ferrets, an American journalist having never heard of ferrets. Use the term tunnel rats and it's stuck. Rats
2: are smarter anyway.
3: Well, but ferrets go in and kill the rats that are in tunnels. Yeah, that's, true. So. that's
0: true. You should have called them terriers. Tunnel rats could not use their rifles due to cramped quarters, so they often fought hand-to-hand or armed only with a pistol and a flashlight. The tu- oh, I've seen that in movies.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. You do the old, like, uh, pistol out in front of you, flashlight on the other hand, yep. and, like, just crawling forward in your knees and elbows. The tunnels yep. were often rigged with explosive booby traps or punji stick pits.
0: You guys know what a punji stick oh, yeah. is? Yeah. I've seen it, Rambo. think
2: so. It's a bunch of sticks. That are sharpened.
0: Yeah, and usually they will have, like, um, some kind f- of a poison. Yeah, or human fecal matter feces. was pretty common. Yeah, yeah. to so create infection. wound become infected. Mm-hmm. 43,000 Vietnamese died defending the Su Chi tunnels near Saigon.
2: That's actually a tourist destination now. If you That's, go to right. Vietnam. That's you can, right. You can tour the tunnels, and yeah. the uh, tour guides are dressed like uh, Viet Cong.
0: And they pop out at you like a haunted house. And here's the bet <laughs> yeah,
2: they do actually. In the middle of the lecture, they'll they'll be talking about an entrance to a tunnel that you, you, you can't see, and then a guy will actually pop out of nowhere. It's yeah. pretty funny to see. That's but a key. lot of the tunnels
0: have been widened
2: for Western tourists. Yeah. Well, because we're over the average height
0: of the Vietnamese at the time. Yeah, I mean, look at some of these pictures and seeing the hatches. Like, you'll see an American soldier Mm -hmm. who's found a hatch to a tunnel, and and he's got it open. And it's like, you're not going to fit in there, buddy. Yeah, yeah.
2: this is about as thin as a 2x4. So Uh,
0: very, very interesting and dangerous and caustic and gross and horrible.
1: Uh, Do we want to talk at all about POWs? They kind of fall in, I I mean, in my research on the POW experience, I found that There was one kind of torture that was used over and over and over again. So it seems very Vietnam-specific. Vietnam-specific. So I'll bring that one up. Sure. They, uh, you know, we've talked about in many other episodes about the things that people have done about... um, you know, binding and uh, uh, and create putting people in painful positions. And this seemed to be the hallmark of the Vietnamese torture method.
2: Stress posturing.
1: Stress posturing and uh, binding their arms and legs in really painful positions. And the one that is almost universally, I read about it in almost every POW's experience, was that they would bind your arms behind your back so that your elbows touched. Let's try to do that now. Yeah. <laughs> if you're sitting, listening to the podcast, yeah. oh, sit on. Up. And try to touch your elbows
0: together behind yeah. your back. Yeah. Put
2: your elbows... Find a Viet Cong soldier.
1: <laughs> yeah. Here, Torrin, I'll come behind you. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I don't like where this is going.
3: I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just, you let me know it my... doesn't seem possible. I... There's two feet between your elbows. <laughs> so. like... <laughs> a a full
2: two feet with me pushing relatively hard and this is where uh training from uh military advisors really comes in handy you don't just think this stuff up yeah Yeah. this is a pretty old military doctrine that's passed down to uh people to make it. so they
1: would tie your arms behind your back until your elbows touched and even in some situations they would take your lower arms and then tie them upwards so that your thumbs would be touching the back of your neck
0: so if seems impossible.
1: Just, if anyone could just stop and mat, no, with your elbows behind your back and then your thumbs behind See, your this, neck. This all
3: probably worked really great until they had to fight the Indian yogic
1: core. <laughs> <laughs>
0: In the news, <laughs> March 2011, in Laos recently, a 10-year-old boy was killed by a buried bomb he and a friend disturbed while playing. While his friend was killed instantly, the boy survived the initial blast and the long trip to the nearest city and the ride to the second hospital, but was denied medical care at both. Neither had donor blood. The boy returned to his village to die in agony at his home. Ah, oh, lovely.
2: Yeah. Not a happy ending.
0: People, go give blood, please. Mm -hmm. Especially in Cambodia and Laos. Mm -hmm. The bomb that killed this boy was one of many items of Unexploded ordnance or UXO. UX Unexploded. Oh, okay. So X stands for exploded. That's right. Awesome. Seated throughout Laos during U.S. bombing campaigns in the 60s and 70s. In Southeast Asia, UXOs injure and kill hundreds of people each year. These unstable bombs and de facto landmines render large swaths of land unworkable for agriculture, economic development, and infrastructure building. To clear the land, UXOs have to be removed or safely detonated in place. Otherwise, the land will remain unusable for decades. It's like salting the earth is not good enough anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. In France, they still have uh, bomb disposal crews basically at the local police station because they still are digging up British and German sure. exploded ordnance yeah. in, in wow. fields. So you can imagine how many there are still laying around Vietnam. Yeah, 70
0: years later. Wow. UXOs contaminate a fifth of Vietnam's total land area. Between 1975 and 2007, UXOs injured or killed about 105,000 people, according to the Vietnamese Ministry of Labor, Invalids, and Social Affairs.
1: Okay, that's higher than I would have thought. Cambodia
0: still has as many as 6 million landmines and UXOs. The U.S. dropped more than 2 million tons of bombs on Laos between 1964 and 73, up to 30% of which did
2: not explode.
1: 30%?
2: Yeah. And when they sold those armaments to the United States government, they said most of them have a failure rate of 2%. So hopefully somebody somebody got their money back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know what? You need to return it. You can return it without the
2: receipt. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely one of ours. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Who's going to dig that up? I yeah. want a refund. If you can make it all the way over here, we'll give you a refund.
1: Yeah.
0: Laos is the most heavily bombed country per capita in history. More than half a million raids sowed the country with more than 270 million bomblets, also called bombies.
1: Oh, this, that, that sounds cute. They're so cute. They a the little
0: parachute. It's adorable.
1: <laughs> it's
3: only going to blow your eye out.
0: <laughs> the smaller <laughs> explosive components of cluster munitions. Today in Laos, 80 million bomblets are still active throughout the country and a quarter of Laos' villages are affected. 80 million Mm -hmm. bomblets. Mm -hmm. Nearly half of victims are children. Other adults and children knowingly risk bodily injury or death because the value of metal outweighs the threat of
1: harm. Really? Does the Mm -hmm. value of metal outweigh the risk of harm? Well, if only one in a hundred goes off. This is the Cambodian 649 ticket is what this is. Yeah. The Powerball. Uh
2: pop culture? Yeah, uh, they have made a couple of movies about Vietnam. Really? I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever seen one.
1: What? That's not <laughs> true? That is a total and utter lie. I watched
0: Green Berets with John Wayne, oh man, from 1968. Oh man. But, directed by John Wayne. So he's oh, even an old, He's an old John Wayne.
2: Yeah. So playing- the movie
3: was released at about the time that everybody's opinion of the war went from hooray America to what the hell are we doing
0: over there? Yeah, yeah. right, okay. Uh, Colonel Mike Kirby picks two teams of crack Green Berets for a mission in South Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So I was watching this movie. Yes. La, 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 I'm watching a movie about Green Berets starring John Wayne. You'd be annoying to watch a movie with them. (laughs) (laughs) And they did their mission, which was to defend this camp. Against this military camp, against the Viet Cong, the right. invading forces. Pretty standard, yeah. Yeah. Okay. An hour and forty minutes, they succeeded in their mission. Okay. Oh my, um, glad this movie's over. Right, because it was painful. But then, there's another mission. <laughs> Great. What? Now they have to go what? and capture a, a Viet Cong general. Because those were all over the After, place and highly wait. visible. After an hour and forty minutes. After an hour and forty minutes. With a climax and a denouement, mm-hmm. they go into this second mission. So, should they have kill build this? Is that what you're saying? They should have split this up <laughs> into two movies. They should have just killed bury it. So, uh, two hours and 22 minutes altogether. That is a slog. Towards John Wayne? Yeah. Good it was, Lord.
2: It was 10 minutes longer than the actual war.
0: Filmed in Georgia. Atlanta,
1: Georgia, and Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, pretty yeah. much the
0: same thing. In 1967, John Wayne wrote to Democratic President Lyndon Johnson requesting military assistance for his pro-war film about Vietnam. <laughs> uh, Jack Valenti, who was uh, one of the presidential advisors at the time, said, Wayne's politics are wrong, but if he makes this film, he will be helping us okay really Wayne got enough firepower to make the Green Berets which became one of the most controversial movies of
1: all time where's the controversy yeah what's the debate John Wayne sucks that's (laughs) that is a that's just a universal truth there is a Wilhelm
0: scream
2: of course. Okay, as
0: enemy soldiers are thrown into the air by an exploding grenade that's yeah.
2: something anyway
0: uh most colonels were only in their 30s during the vietnam war john wayne was 60 when this film was made okay right. yeah mm-hmm. and george de missed working on the trouble with tribbles episode of original star trek to work on this movie oh mm.
2: no regrets there i'm sure
0: <laughs> oh there he is in the picture there so i do not give this movie a high rating uh, do you give it a low one but as probably the only pro vietnam
2: war movie i thought it would be useful to watch it i okay. give it a one out of ten because he's wearing the correct tiger stripe uniform for that era it's good otherwise, actually, otherwise it
0: would
3: be
2: zero yeah they actually well, call that uh john wayne uh tiger stripe here's yeah. the thing though it was that era <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> he just picked it up and, yeah. like it was the, the 1968 PX. yeah so
1: yeah. Deer hunter Deer Hunter has one of the best final scenes in all of film But it history. takes so
0: long to get there. Yeah.
1: It does take a long time it's to get there. It's a long slog.
2: But I enjoyed every minute of it. What is the general plot? There's a huge, long wedding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Which, is. when you first see it when you're 12, is maybe a little long. Well, everything in Deer Hunter is long. Yeah. Right? Because this is
1: 1978. It's one of the first Vietnam movies, Vietnam War movies that I ever saw that drew this connection between what's going on at home and what's going on in Vietnam and how different people dealt with it differently. It's a group of friends who all are shaped and react completely differently to the Vietnam experience. So the big wedding scene sets up the group of friends. That's right. And Mm -hmm. then do they all go over to Vietnam and serve in the same no, John Cazale Company? doesn't go over. He's, okay. he's unfit, right? Uh, so De Niro goes over as a special forces officer. Uh, so he's like a Green Beret or yeah. special forces. One or, shot, one kill. That's yeah, his big thing. That's exactly it. And uh, uh, whereas his other two friends are um, are over there, uh, played by John Savage and Christopher Walken, and they're just like regular forces, right? John Savage and De Niro end up POWs. Okay. And uh, Christopher Walken uh, never comes back from Vietnam and it's cinema it's ab- as art. Yeah, it's about the effect of war on human lives and yeah. friendships and and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, every minute of it is worth it. Like you uh, you're on the I was on the edge of my seat every time I see it. It's
0: Even during the wedding
1: you're yes. on the edge of your seat. I was sitting there thinking of who's myself. gonna catch yes. the <laughs> who's gonna catch the bouquet, you know? <laughs> who's gonna get drunk and hit on the ugly chick? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where are uh, where are the bridesmaids? One year later was Apocalypse Now. Yeah, but Apocalypse Now probably started shooting like three years earlier. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, one of the most famous boondoggles in uh, in anybody's career. Uh, Apocalypse Now took forever to complete, and. Uh, like, people kind of went somewhat insane in the course of making it almost more interesting than apocalypse now is the documentary about the making of apocalypse now made by francis ford coppola's wife okay named heart of
2: darkness i found mm-hmm. that more compelling than the actual movie it's one of the only movies i think is a complete mess but i'll watch start to finish every time it's on yeah. right because about right. yeah because it's so many good parts that i don't agree with the way they were put together but i mean obviously what do i know but the movie's a mess, but I just can't stop watching it. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, there's also the benefit of the fact that I'm a massive fan of the fiction on which it was based, Heart of Darkness, uh, the book by Joseph Conrad. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I've read that and dozens for, of times. And for those who
3: don't know, that's actually set in uh, Africa, in Africa, Africa yeah. right? Yeah. So it's kind of been adapted
1: to be in Vietnam. It's set in, the, in Africa in the 19th century. Yeah. Right. And so it's it's adapted and modernized for Vietnam, but it's the storyline of Colonel Kurtz, who goes insane and travels up river uh and uh martin sheen's character is assigned to the job of either getting him to come back to america or to assassinate him right did you ever watch the uh Shiza film shard of darkness
2: <laughs> not as good <laughs> and also a real thing and also quite long how was the budget on that <laughs>
1: Well, there's, and also if you see the extended director's cut, which the Apocalypse Now reducts, which only really serious fans of the movie should probably watch, there's actually a very interesting sequence in the middle of it where they end up on a French plantation. And they like meet all these Frenchmen who are still like way out in the jungle and like treating it like it's French Indochina. And so it kind of ties up the history of Vietnam.
2: I think it was a mistake to cut that out. I think when they added that footage, I thought this kind of brings the movie a little closer together. But it also added like 40 minutes to the movie. (laughs) Those are quality minutes, Kevin. (laughs) Quality minutes. I
1: don't disagree. I love that sequence. Like, there was, like, four or five things that were added in the Redux, and the most lengthy of them was the the French plantation stuff. Yeah. And all this other stuff they added did not need to be in the movie. The French plantation stuff was really well done, and it's a shame that they took it out, but it would have been a a three-and-a-half-hour movie if they hadn't.
0: Platoon, 19... 86.
3: 1986. I, okay, here's the thing about Platoon. So first I'm going to talk about the memory that we all have of, of the movie Platoon, which is... The poster. Like, That's
2: all I remember yeah, about the Yeah, the movie. poster the and poster. The, the
3: arms in the air, the, the Christ figure, the dog tags and the logo, uh, and all the awards it won at one. Best Picture, it had two Academy Award nods for Best Supporting Actor, on yeah. 100 Best Films lists all over the place. Yeah. I rewatched it just the other day uh, for Ex- this episode. Excited, thinking, I'm sure. Thinking, man, I haven't watched this in ages. I'm so excited to see Platoon again. I remember being great. I actually remember certain quotes from it yeah. as being kind of inspirational to me. I remember at the end he's got that quote about I sometimes think of myself as being the son of the yeah, child the of these the child two, of fathers. two fathers. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool, like the duality of man and stuff like that. I rewatched it and it is terrible.
1: Yeah. I agree.
3: It it feels like a movie within a TV show. Like mm-hmm. like if Entourage, if the cast of Entourage had been hired to be in a Vietnam War movie, the <laughs> cheesy Vietnam War movie that they would be in with the terrible no-depth acting and no-depth characters just representing complete and utter over-the-top cliches is exactly what this movie was. Was it, it
0: like Tropic Thunder done? Yeah. Uh,
2: yes. <laughs> it, it plays For to real. the sensibilities of, of your average, like, 13 to 15 year old male i think when it yeah. came
1: out in 1986 i was 13 years old and i yeah. saw it in the movie theater and yep. it was probably my favorite movie i'd ever seen until i saw top gun right <laughs> <But clears throat> platoon was top three for a number of years and then years later probably in the mid 90s you know i got an opportunity to see it again you're like oh yeah let's see platoon again and then hating it, re- reviling it, like can't even believe and it was. It was there was an epiphany in my second viewing of that movie mm-hmm. that I realized I hate Oliver Stone. Yeah.
0: Ooh. So you, what is the plot?
3: Unlike these other movies that ha- give you personal background and some civilian life, or at least some out of combat and then in combat comparisons, mm-hmm. basically Charlie Sheen's character gets dropped into this platoon, and then they yeah. have to go off somewhere it's not even really said yeah. trek through the jungle now stay here and get attacked yeah. and then they get attacked and then things are horrible and he gets really high the, his drug that gives him crazy hallucinogenic things and makes him a total loser is weed yeah. really yeah like come on man you, you're smoking too much of that shit i'm like come on dude like they're getting high and going to sleep mm. okay, Chill. it's, it's...
4: <laughs>
3: this actually is left-wing anti-war propaganda and I consider I myself fairly left wing like i i'm I'm against war, but this is so over the top where all the bad guys are so evil, and the yeah. good
1: guys are so good they're caricatures, yeah they're well, yeah, because characters. like Tom Berenger actually had like scars put all over his face, yeah, right oh no, Tom Berge is the bad guy. How do I know he looks ugly uh, yeah.
2: it's I think a good movie would have would have combined Defoe and uh, Berenger's character as one, so right. you can see. That there was some duality there. But no, they had to split them up into black and white. And yeah, absolutely. Good first sergeant, black bad black first black. sergeant. Oliver Stone is a hack, period. I, uh, I sort of, sometimes think of that movie as a, as a necessary primer for our generation to learn about Vietnam. Because what it is, it's basically kind of like a workout video. There's a list of exercises they have to go through yeah. to teach you about <laughs> Vietnam. Right? Yeah, yeah. First, there's getting off the plane and seeing the old timers. <laughs> yeah. Then you're in the boondocks. Then you get to see the fat guy get killed. Right, right. Yeah. And it just kind of goes on from so, that. And instead, here's, here's of, instead,
1: part, of, instead of seven-minute abs, it's 89-minute Vietnam
2: War? Right around that time, I was very interested in warfare because I was a young man, right? Mm-hmm. I read a book called uh, Grunts, which is basically a bunch of two or three paragraph stories from soldiers who were in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. That movie lifted all the tropes out of that book. Right.
3: Here's the scene where they go to the to the village yeah. and then kill all the innocents, and one guy goes, we yeah. can't do it, and everybody else goes, screw you, they're all VCs. Yeah.
2: we don't say which village it is, but right. it's basically my life. I'm going to say something, <laughs> no, and I stand by this. Forrest Gump is a better Vietnam movie I than agree. Platoon. A year after that, 1987. The Vietnam summer, I call it, because <laughs> oh, yeah. there was like three Vietnam blockbusters that came on at yeah, the yeah, yeah. same time.
0: Uh, I watched good morning vietnam this week oh good i I had seen it when it came out yeah or shortly thereafter i didn't Mm -hmm. remember too much about it starring robin williams forrest whitaker and bruno kirby all excellent the plot an unorthodox and irreverent dj begins to shake up things when he is assigned to the u.s armed services radio station in vietnam this was very much an army movie but it wasn't really much of a vietnam movie no most of the plot is just about these characters at the radio station not getting along and the conflict between them there was some stuff there was definitely some stuff like halfway through and then towards the end about vietnam but there wasn't that much about it
1: um except some really good improv from uh from robin williams
0: yeah basically all of the radio stuff that he did was improv yeah and And some uh, of
1: it's pretty hysterical
0: uh, the real Adrian Cronauer, which is the char- Robin Williams character, uh, said that the film misrepresented him to make him seem anti-war. Today, mm. Cronauer remains an active Republican and was a vice chairman of the 2004 Bush-Cheney reelection campaign.
3: Oh
0: wow! Cronauer has also said that if he'd done half the things Williams did in the film, he would have been court-martialed and sent to Fort Leavenworth. <laughs> After Cronauer was restationed to somewhere else, Greece, uh, Yeah, the
3: one of the people who's brought in to replace him was Pat Sajak.
2: No kidding.
3: Ah, yeah.
0: Funny. So overall, the characters were more... You know, you liked the ones you were supposed to like. You didn't like the ones you are supposed to you not yeah, like. Yeah, it was a sticking-it-to-the-man yeah. yeah. movie. Yeah, and, and it was, was, it was pretty cookie-cutter, yeah. but very spoon-fed. Yeah. But, but uh, un-
1: entertaining. Not bad, yeah, not yeah. bad. Uh,
3: also, ninety seven a bunch of other movies. Uh, Full Metal Jacket, I rewatched. Absolutely holds up. It is a fabulously made movie. I have no complaints Well, about.
1: and the thing about Full Metal Jacket, like Deer Hunter drew these parallels between uh, the experiences back in the U.S. and the experiences... Or, or the dichotomy between the two experiences stateside and in Vietnam yeah. but entirely from the soldiers perspective right. like you don't see the real lives like at home you see them in basic training mm-hmm. and then you don't then you cut forward like three years and you see them like in the shit in Vietnam yeah and so you're like what is similar and what is dissimilar about those two experiences what I, I thought
2: was genius about this movie is that the stuff in basic training was just as shocking as anything that happened overseas too because yeah. right. we didn't really have uh, too much of an education about what went on for marine corps training back mm-hmm. then
3: right the comparison of what was going on in in both the act one i'm going to call them act one and act two even though there's probably three in there somewhere but but the first act of the training and then the second one in vietnam was both of them represented them trying to do the best thing like the uh the drill sergeant the drill instructor uh played by arlie Ermey. arlie Ermy. My memory of him was quite negative, like that he was a bad guy and that he was pushing these guys too hard. But when I rewatched it this time, he really was just as hard as he needed to be. Every time he saw that, uh, that Pyle was going to fail, he let him fail and then humiliated him for it in, in the hopes of making him a better soldier. Like, you can actually, when you look at it this way, you can actually see that he is really trying to make a good soldier or saying, if you can't be a good soldier, I'm going to fail you out. Well, the- And the thing is, I, I see that as kind of the Vietnam thing. They were like, we need to go over to Vietnam and do make things better but the way that they were doing it was making things worse. And it's the same thing yeah. with the drill instructor. Trying to do things good but he just went too far, snapped him and broke
1: it and everything went to shit. Yeah, yeah. I don't
2: think that was a coincidence either. It seemed right. like a deliberate no. device.
1: And Arlie Ermey, the interesting Arlie Ermey trivia was that he actually was the longtime drill instructor at yeah. Paris Island. Yep. And so when Kubrick decided he was making this movie, he hired Arlie Ermey to be his technical advisor right uh, and he rewrote the script based on a lot of the sort of catchphrases that Ermi was using and all the rest of that he, stuff
3: he actually improved a whole lot of that
1: yeah and he yeah. did improv on a bunch of that stuff and uh, but originally Ermi was actually uh, was not supposed to be a character in the film right he was using him to read with the actors they were auditioning for it. And Kubrick, just through the process, because Ermy would tell them what to say yeah. and tell them what to do and like and what, how to deliver and it and instruct them on the whole thing. And Kubrick was like, why am I going to hire somebody <laughs> so this guy can tell him what to do? Why don't I just hire the guy? You, Actually, you're fired. Yeah. yeah. Can you so, imagine being the actor yeah. if you were cast? Kubrick changed his mind after Ermy
3: put together an instructional tape in which Ermy went on an extended hair-raising drill instructor tirade towards several extras, convincing Kubrick he was the right person for the role. That Apparently, awesome. they were thrown. Throwing oranges and tennis balls at him, and he didn't once flinch or stop throughout the entire 15 minutes that he berated these extras. Mm-hmm. And so wow. that's what got him the job. There's a bunch of other movies. I'm just going to list them because people are going to be like, "Can't believe you didn't." 87 okay. uh, also had Hamburger Hill, Hanoi Hilton. Uh, of course, there's a bunch of terrible movies. We're going to skip over uh, Air America jacob's ladder a bunch of things dealing with people coming back
2: uh we were soldiers was just okay rescue dawn
1: was nothing special i know it got I like didn't a lot like of that yeah, some okay.
2: kind of hero was the same thing i liked the book i didn't like the movie richard one of richard pryor's first vehicles he played a pow in vietnam richard pryor did yeah
0: was it hilarious
2: you know like a good comedy should be dark but funny at the same okay. time okay All but sure. it wasn't like you know hogan's hero or anything <laughs> Uh, I recently watched a documentary called Sir, No Sir. What I liked about it was uh, you never hear about this aspect of the Vietnam War, which was active duty service personnel who didn't want to go to Vietnam because they were philosophically opposed to it, which is not something you usually hear from people who are in the military voluntarily. Right. Right. They just did not agree with it politically. And these people... So
1: they weren't drafted. They were actually military personnel. Some
2: of them were draftees, but most of them were part of the military Okay, so this is a documentary. This is a documentary. And uh, they even drag in uh, Jane Fonda to give her two bits because she organized a lot of anti-war stuff uh, during the 1960s. The big thrust of this movie is that anybody who was in the military at the time and said, I'm not going to Vietnam, they had a lot more at stake and there was a lot more risk involved for them to refuse because they weren't civilians. You could be imprisoned for up to 25 years. You could be executed in some cases. What? For mutiny. In the United States In the United Army? States, yeah. Muhammad
1: Ali spent some time in jail uh, for refusing to uh, accept the draft.
2: Yeah, and uh, it also it goes over um, the black power movement and how uh, a lot of black soldiers were not interested in going over to Vietnam to be used as basically cannon fodder. Because mm-hmm. they'd seen the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'd seen the movies. So I, I just found it a really powerful documentary that kind of came out of nowhere, and it was uh, unexpected. Uh, this is an aspect of the Vietnam War I'd never heard of before, and I think a lot of people haven't either. It's just not something that occurs to you. You think We normally think of uh, veterans coming back and taking part of anti-war protests, right. but not people who are actively in training to be deployed. So, so was there
1: like old sort of like archival footage? It was all like
2: archival footage intercut with uh, interviews of people touring the prisons where they were interred in, in San Francisco. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. And uh, Jane Fonda was in there. She got uh, interviewed because she was putting on uh, sort of anti-USO shows that would tour towns that American bases were in. So they wouldn't allow her and her troop to perform their anti-USO show on base. Sure, of course. But they were heavily attended by, uh, by base personnel. When, Off, they were, when Off-site. Yeah, kind of an off-Broadway that's you where know. the
0: hippies and the army dudes co-mingled. They, they in... actually
2: did. There were coffee houses run by military personnel that were anti-war and published newspapers. I mean, it's a great documentary. Huh. You should hmm. see it. Really? Very interesting. Yeah. Needless to say, the army wasn't too comfortable with this. Oh, and
3: it's from the BBC. Uh, when, during one offensive, more bombs were dropped on Vietnam than were used during the whole of World War II by both sides... The Navy also started to protest their involvement in the war. A ballot was cast on the aircraft carrier Constellation, in which the crew decided not to go to Vietnam. That doesn't say whether
2: forward. or not the ship ended up going to Vietnam, because keep, keep in mind they, that the crew was not mutinying. They were just taking a vote. Yeah. Whether or not that vote had any sway over the military right. command. I mean, obviously it didn't. It did because yeah, it looks so, like you're okay. yeah, yeah, They held a, uh, an election in the city of San Francisco of whether or not they thought that ship should go to Vietnam. Hmm. And of course, everyone vote, voted no, because they're all a bunch of hippies. Dirty hippies. Dirty hippies. So as much as I rail against hippies, I admire these people so much for it was a tough time to take a stand because if you took a stand against something like this that was going on, you were anti American, period. Right. There yeah. was no Yeah. Uh, There's no middle ground there.
0: Joe, you read the comic book series The Nom. Yeah. Or I think the Nan.
3: Marvel's Larry Hama was kinda like the main guy behind it. I remember they would always have photos of him wearing his T shirt, Uzi Does It. He was a big Uzi war guy. Does it. Mm-hmm. Um it was a pretty good i'm guessing i'm not much of a history guy but a pretty good pretty realistic uh depiction for comics anyway yeah, i mean especially in especially Vietnam.
1: in that era like there was uh, 86 to 93. i uh, i remember reading it and kind of being surprised that there was you know a rougher language than you'd usually find in comics right. at the time was it not approved by the comics code authority it was not no. approved by the comics code authority i'm not surprised yeah, though no, there was rougher language, like uh characters were getting killed, like yep. there was a um it was it was definitely a rawer take on comics than I had seen up to that point in time and so I think that kind of
2: captured the imagination of its following anyway. The thing I noticed about this comic and the movies that came around the same time this comic was being published was uh, America was sort of starting to deal with uh, the hangover that Vietnam left, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and people really wanted to know what had happened to their uncles and fathers and stuff like that, because nobody was talking about this. Everyone just... Vietnam was so disgraceful that everyone just shut up about it unless you were Oliver Stone. Yeah. You know?
1: And you know, if you think about it, 1986 is only 13 years removed from the actual end of the conflict Mm -hmm. from the U.S. perspective, right? And things like
2: post-traumatic stress disorder and... uh, even the uh, cancer that uh, Agent Orange had caused in, right. in Air crews was starting to actually be officially recognized. People were starting to start a dialogue about this horrible thing that nobody wanted to talk about for yeah. years and years. So the 80s, I think it was kind of like everything came to a head, and this yeah. was sort of one of the things that came out it of was,
1: it. It was ramping up to yeah. Born on the 4th again, of July. Again,
2: it's a, it's a primer for kids of our generation to learn about what happened and why no one was talking about it. And, yeah. and the comic, The Nam, I noticed I read a few issues. It is again just sort of cataloging the tropes that we mm-hmm. that yeah. we know of now. So it's a good primer for what happened. To it y. was a
1: four color comic book, though. It was especially interesting because one of the biggest uh, toys and comics and TV series at the time was GI Joe. Yeah, which would have mm-hmm. been in like direct contradiction to what the Nam was doing, right? right? So it's kind of it was the counterpoint to GI Joe almost.
2: I think the timing was perfect for this comic. Lester of Two Eagles. <laughs> I think we should do. Was it worse to be an American soldier in Vietnam or a Viet Cong soldier in Vietnam? Because you, both sides had a really bad time of it.
1: Okay, all right, but in different ways. In, in very, different, very different, yeah, very ways. different ways. So, well,
0: I'm at heart a communist. Right. Okay. So my first instinct is philosophically, <laughs>
1: philosophically to be with the Viet Cong. Right. Uh-huh.
2: We're not talking about politics. We're talking about on boots on the ground I know, experience. I
1: know. Well, here's uh, here's where I lean. Because I'm not a skinny fella, so uh, <laughs> trying to like be, you would be, though. trying to fill into one of those like tunnels, yeah, might be problematic. I might get wedged, right? For that alone, we call you the Tunnel Fat. <laughs> the Tunnel Fat. I prefer I get it.
3: Husky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, normally, but then compared to these tunnels, yeah.
0: yeah, be less a tunnel rat and more like a tunnel pig.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, the Vietnamese pot-belly pigs. There you go. There you go. Uh, no, you, seriously. Uh, I think just if you just come at it from a statistical perspective, (laughs) three million dead Vietnamese, 58,000 dead U.S. soldiers, like just in a numbers game alone, you're really rolling the dice. I mean, you have a massive technological inferiority uh, to the other side. So I'm leaning towards the U.S. soldier just because I've got a much less chance of being put in harm's way.
2: And you're only there for 13 months and then you go home. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. to mention the fact you're not waging war in the neighborhood where your family is. But let's mm-hmm. that's I'm going to go true. with the US soldier. Let's let's, let's
3: put it this way though, uh, at least you can feel you've got the the right on your side when you're there on the other side. You know, you're protecting your country from invaders. You just want to have this election. To, you're defending yourself rather you're defending than... you yeah, defending yourself, yeah. Your defense right? rather you, than offense. You kind of have the moral high ground as much as you're putting in punji stakes. And so,
2: to sum up your position,
3: Wolverines! <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. You are the Wolverines. Still, yeah. even with that, I have to go with the math.
1: <laughs> and the 13 months. Yeah. and the, I. Uh, <sighs> Although there is kind of a flip side to this U.S. soldier thing, because, hey, what if you're assigned... to Charlie Company, and you roll into a village of seven hundred innocent women and children, yeah. and your uh, your commanding officer says, "All right, let's start mowing people down." Even though you're going to survive the war, you're going to end up back at Homestead, and you're just going to have to live yeah. with the fact that you mowed down, you know, a couple of hundred three year olds.
2: and, know, and, and it's more common for soldiers mission. in that position to follow orders rather than be the guy who says no. Yeah, yeah,
1: of course. I mean, even if you don't end up pulling the trigger, you're standing beh- beside a guy who is pulling the trigger and you're not doing anything about it's it. It's the same thing? Sure, you got a better chance of surviving the war, but when the war is over, you also have a much better chance of having to live with yourself. Well, no, but remember
3: Hue. They went in and killed all the, a whole bunch of people in Hue. Yeah, but they they actually admitted it and I'm kind of
0: apologized. Well, I'm sure many of the Americans...
3: Well, yeah, I shouldn't have gone in and killed that village.
0: Okay, here's the thing. Yeah. I get to build booby traps if I'm a VC. Yep. yep.
2: Okay. And you get a place to put your poop. I can have a
0: place to put my poop. Yeah. On the bungee steaks. <laughs> I can, finally. <laughs> I get to live underground. Boo. Because I'm not much of a surface dweller.
1: Okay? No, that's true. Actually, this actually kind of like sort of fits I like hanging out style. in the basement and, you know, just designing booby traps. <laughs> With the poisonous traps.
0: centipedes. Yeah, there's
1: that. But you can also use them for good. The poisonous centipedes. Yeah, gather them up, put them in an
3: easily shatterable glass, and then throw them at people. Yes, exactly.
0: I think the aftermath would be harder being an American and mm. coming back.
1: You know, I think it would be after
0: doing horrible things. Then again, we go back to the 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 philosophy and the being on the defense.
1: You know, I think Torrance flipped my switch because uh, what, oh, what he's, baby. What he's really saying is is that if you're VC. Your level of job satisfaction is <laughs> going to be so much greater than as a U.S. soldier. Because as a U.S. soldier, you're just in there like fight, like fighting communism. It's kind yeah. of amorphous ideal that doesn't really have anything to do with what you're doing on the ground. Whereas the VC, it's not might makes right. It's like what's right is right. Plus,
0: if I decide, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to shoot anyone. I'm not going to kill anyone. I can just walk home.
1: Yeah. You just go back
3: to your, patty, your well, rice
2: patty that gets carpet bombed. No,
3: they're still rounding <laughs> up guys and forcing them to fight. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's, let's not let's all con. Viet
2: Cong we're, we're, it's voluntary. It's yeah. like, we're going to cut your family open if you don't yeah, join us. There you, was a certain amount of that If you're not going defending
3: the country, you're a traitor. Bang. Yeah,
2: like, yeah this is. A, but I think if, if, as an American, you're vilified by the people you're supposedly there to liberate, you go home, you're vilified. Yeah. by America yeah. for what 25 years before people finally start to admit that oh, you know okay I understand that it was not cut and dried yeah. Yeah, yeah so I think your 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 after experience was probably more positive I'm just guessing as I'm a gonna, Viet Cong soldier
1: I'm I'm still going to I'm going to stick with VC I'm going to stick with VC based on the, if I'm going to do something I'm going to do it right philosophy yeah
0: and also I I'm going to state that even though the tour of duty for America was like a year right mm-hmm. you can have multiple tours of duty yeah, and I think that we should s- state for the purpose of this argument that you're fighting for the same amount of time no matter what side you're on. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah. So 13 months either way. Yeah. Okay. So but, I go VC. Yeah, I'm going to go VC too because I like to win, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of these sides, like incontrovertibly, won.
2: I'm I'm going American because when I finally get back to Detroit it may be a wasteland but there's no cluster bomb that's waiting in my field like ah I'm finally back to my field boom you know I survived 13 years of combat fighting the Americans now I'm missing both my legs yeah I, I'm going American Mm. I'm still
3: doing
0: it for the just the
3: math, fifty-eight thousand to several million. Right?
2: Yeah.
0: And then I get to go around and collect uh, bombs for money. Uh, Bomblets, unexploded bomblets. Yeah, Yeah, because the metal metal is
3: worth more than
1: your
0: life. (laughs) That's a that's a good hobby.
3: Yeah, I'm going to choose the side whose life is worth more than scrap metal.
1: (laughs) 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 Ouch.
4: Say, axe handle. According the Horse Track Hooligans program really leaves my throat raw and irritated. I've got just the thing for that. The Caustic Soda Radio Hour. A richer, bolder, more pleasing podcast. Say, is that the one with the unfiltered, full-bodied recording by Mr. Mike Leeson Esquire? Say, it sure is. Now, can I find that at my local pharmacy or dry goods store? (laughs) You'll only find a barrel of crackers or plug tobacco there. No... Caustic Soda can be found at causticsodapodcast.com. Will there be Gibson girls there? Heck no, but you can find videos, pictures, links, and even Caustic Soda ringtones for your wireless set. That sounds great. Say, how much is this going to cost me? That's just it, Flatcap. Caustic Soda is free to download. If you like what you hear, feel free to make a donation.
2: Yeah, a few spondulics will keep the gas lights on and the laughs at full
4: gallop. And if you don't agree that Caustic Soda is the richer, smoother, more pleasing podcast, send your questions and comments to info at causticsodapodcast.com and rate and review them on iTunes. Caustic Soda Podcast, a superlative blend of science and comedy with almost no polio.